Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak in the postseason mode of the NFL season. Unfortunately, the New Orleans Saints are not part of that postseason after finishing a 7-10 record. Jumbled up with everybody else in the lousy NFC South. That Tampa is was the only representative who will be playing in the weekend games. Jeff, how does it feel at least to know you can be home on the couch watching football and not having to worry about really reporting on it? Yeah, it's the Saints are in off-season mode while there are half the leagues in postseason mode and. That is nice if you were one of the people like me who got very sick and tired of this season very early on. Um, and now you can kind of talk about the things that you need to fix rather than the things that they can't seem to get right. And so that's kind of nice. And that's what we talked about with Dennis Allen this week and his kind of final kind of break press conference, right? It's kind of like the last day of school. Everyone's cleaning out their lockers and going home. And so we talked about plans for the off season plans for the coaching staff, and it all kind of boils down to wait and see because they're not ready to make any decisions yet. We're going to get into that. We're also going to get into a question I think is important and it's going to be something this team has to figure out is, is Chris Olave a wide receiver one? You know, he kind of a, is he the guy you can put on an island with the other team's best cornerback and say, okay, you're one-on-one, we're going to go to you and you're going to make a play? I think that's a good question. We have some stats to break that down. It's going to be the second segment. And then the final segment is going to be we're going to set up kind of the playoffs because I'm interested in watching the playoffs. And I know you are as well. The NFC playoffs are going to be interesting. Even though there's no good teams, that's why they're going to be interesting. And the AFC playoffs are going to be a lot of really good quarterbacks. Um, So that's going to be something to watch. We're going to get into that in the third segment. But first, here is what Dennis Allen's final press conference kind of boiled down to and I'll preface this by saying I think he was pretty open about a lot of things like he wasn't hiding anything but I think genuinely this team is not going to overreact and make kind of spur of the moment decisions based on what happened in week 18 how the season ended they're going to take their time like they always do and uh, that's going to be kind of how uh, this team operates just like it always has. Well, look, again, I mean, I know we're all looking for, you know, what's the the exact plan moving forward. I don't think that one day after a, you know, 18-week, 17-game season um, is the time that all those questions are answered. I think this is the time to evaluate those things um, and, and come up with a plan as we move forward. And so certainly, um, as I said already, that, that, you know, 7 and 10 is not – uh, what we expect to be our standard around here. And, and so uh, we've got to look at everything to try to improve ourselves. Or it might be too early to ask this, but do you anticipate anything to change conference before here? Yeah, again, that's not where we're at right now. I think, look, we're going to evaluate everything. We're going to evaluate, just like I get evaluated, um, we're going to evaluate where we need to improve um, and that evaluation has not taken place yet, uh, but that'll 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 happen here shortly, and we'll have a plan moving forward. So yeah, there's not going to be anything going on this week. I would imagine this isn't going to be a team that just fires its top coordinators the day after the season ends. And I I know people have been kind of frustrated about that on on social media. I've seen it. Uh, I know Mickey Loomis was on WWL yesterday kind of saying, yeah, this is going to be something that we take our time with. And like, I don't get the frustration around that. Like well-run organizations aren't the ones that are constantly firing coordinators and coaches based on, you know, 
these kind of emotional situations. Like that's not how good teams operate. And so like, I don't mind this team taking a few minutes. Like these are people, right? It's not like you're just, you know, like cutting heads off, you know, at the end of the season. Like you got to at least evaluate and talk to people before you just, you know, start firing people. So that's, I think that's a weird criticism that, oh, it's, it's Wednesday and this team hasn't fired anyone on its staff yet. How dare they? Um, actually meet with people and and discuss things first. Crazy. No, and and obviously I think too if Dennis Allen knew anything that he did want to make a move on, he's not going to blurt it out to us first kind of thing. I think he knows that he talked about 7 and 10 obviously not being their standard and being able to get back to that standard. Where do you need the most improvement on this team? Obviously, I think we saw a defense that was able to close the year on a hell of a run. Unfortunately, there were a lot of miscues or mistakes in the late game situations, which kind of is really the biggest blemish of the D. I guess you could say the lack of takeaways as well, but the I put those late game situations where you just coughed away leads a, a much worse thing. But was was that also because of them being so gassed from being out there so long because the offense couldn't remain on the field. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that's going to be something that we can figure out this offseason, and that's like kind of where you are. I know DA said that he doesn't think they're that far away, and I think that's fair when you look at kind of the schedule, right? Like they, this isn't a team that lost to a bunch of bad teams, and I think that's when you're when you're looking at a team and trying to figure out, okay, what where do we stand in the in the kind of spectrum of NFL teams? That's what you should look at. You know, did you lose? two bad teams did you beat good teams you know where where are you and I think this is a team that's right in the middle they are an average team that beat teams that were worse than them the exceptions would be the Seahawks and the Eagles you know those are both playoff teams the other teams they beat the Rams the Raiders the Falcons twice and there's one more team in there the Browns, right. So, you know, the only bad team you lost to was the Cardinals. Everyone else on that list was competitive. And I would argue that the Cardinals at that point were still considered to be a competitive team. They didn't have DeAndre Hopkins. You thought, okay, Kyler Murray's going to figure it out. So, like, the 4-13 four and four and 13 there is kind of misleading in terms of the level of talent they have on that team. But, like, I think that kind of sets you up to be able to say, yeah, we we need to beat the teams we're supposed to beat, and then you pick off a couple of playoff teams in, on the way, and that's how you make the playoffs, right? Like, you blew a game against the Bengals, you blew a game against the Bucks, and those are what kept you out of the playoffs. If those go differently, then you're right there. So, like, I do think it's fair to say they are close. The question is, how do you get over that? And I don't know how you do that without staffing changes. And so that's what I think you're going to see going forward. But the staffing change that you are not going to see based on what we heard this week and what every indication has been from the staff is that, you know, I don't think that we're going to see a head coaching change. I don't think that anyone on the, on the team expects that. And here's what Dennis Allen had to say about it when, when he was asked directly whether he expects to be back next season. I, I don't think there's any need to, to, you know, discuss that any further. Um, uh, and and I'm I'm certainly going forward with that, you know, anticipation. That's the indication that I've been given, and um, I'm excited about it. Look, you know, again, um, seven and ten is not where we want to be, um, you know. But uh, but we're not we're we're not as far off as 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 maybe some might think. Um, but there's areas that we have to improve on. Penalties, turnovers definitely were a big killer all season long. You compound that with, I hate to lean on the injury issue, but that's for real. I mean, there were so many from the offensive line to the wide receiver core. And early on, that that just caused so many problems where you just, you couldn't really get that momentum going anywhere. No. No, and and again, we've said this all year. We're not really breaking any new ground on it. Like, you can't judge a head coaching tenure in the first year. I get it. People are frustrated. Like, you're going to find out a lot more about this team next season than you were able to this season. And hopefully they are able to figure out, you know, the medical staff and, and what's going on there. I don't know. Like, it's tough to say that 
there's anything specific that you can change with the medical staff and with the training staff because it's not like you had a ton of like soft tissue injuries and that's what DA pointed to it's like you're dealing with impact injuries you're dealing with torn ligaments and and busted knees and and concussions and these I don't know I don't know how you what you do from a training perspective to to solve that right like I don't know if there's anything the trainers could have done to prevent Jameis Winston's foot from giving out on him you know what I mean like that's not that's not something they can handle but it it is you see it year after year and it's hard to accept it as just bad luck every year you know so there's got to be some common denominator and I don't know if you try if you try to change the turf I noticed this that they started practicing outside a lot more this year than they had in years past I don't know if that had something to do with it to get them on like natural grass fields but it's there's something you gotta you gotta try some stuff there like you can't just keep saying oh it's bad luck like there's gotta be things you can do but yeah I don't know that to me obviously you know, it's a it's a killer when you don't have some of your top guys around. And now we've been, I feel like, really robbed, obviously, of Michael Thomas's career. Who knows if he'll ever be that guy again. But I don't think we'll even find that out, sadly, after the reworking of this deal, that it doesn't look like it's going to be with the Saints. You know, it's all, everything's falling in line for him to be let go and try and get his career on track somewhere else, but it won't be with the Saints paying an exorbitant amount for a receiver that cannot stay on the field here at least. And it's been frustrating because you would hate to see, obviously, Michael Thomas go anywhere in the NFC. God forbid the NFC South, like he ends up in Atlanta or something and ends up being, you know, quote unquote, a Saints killer from here on out. Yeah, here's what DA had to say on Mike uh, when we were asked him this week. Yeah, look, I think that's a, you know, it's a tough evaluation. But yet I know that, that when he's been healthy for us, he's been a, a, a game-changer type player. So, um, again, we, we'll, we'll look at all these things. With the reworked contract, is that something you guys approached him about, or is it kind of a... That's probably a better question for Mickey in terms of that. You know, he handles most of those things. So, like, they're not going to tell you high or low. I think the most frustrating part for Mike and about Mike is it would have been honestly easier if, he hadn't come out in week one and caught those two touchdown passes. Heck, the third touchdown pass in week two, because you saw like, oh, oh, he can still do it, right? He like he's still got the the ability, and he just can't stay on the field. And that's far more frustrating than if he had never gotten out there at all, because at least then it's like the sunken cost is clear. Because I, I have no doubt that if he could stay healthy, he could still be a very good NFL wide receiver. I'm just not sure you will ever see a full healthy season from him. Again, because it's not wide receiver isn't a position where you typically will see year after year of injuries and then suddenly a guy's healthy again, right? Like usually it's it's you know like the Des Bryant, right? Like he was really really good and then he wasn't. And these are very similar receivers, very similar play styles, and he never got back, right? Like he he the Saints signed him and he played literally twelve minutes of a practice and then blew out his knee and then he never or his Achilles and then never played again. Actually, I think he might have signed with the Ravens and played like one game. Either way, it's not always a question of, oh, maybe, you know, maybe the luck will shift and he won't get injured. It's like your body is letting you down. And I think that's where Mike is right now. And hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully he does get out there. I don't really care if he goes out to Atlanta and balls out. I'd like to see him play well. So, like, I'm not going to I'm not going to shed any tears if he gets cut and goes and signs with an NFC South team. Because I like Mike Thomas. I think I'd like to see him play well. And I think that's kind of where the team is at right now is they just don't want to they don't want to devote any more resources than they have to to a guy who, you know, they've given every every possible chance to to get back on the field. It's not like they've they've shortchanged Mike in any way. So I think that's just where you are with that. And we're going to get more into the wide receivers in the next segment. But, you know, the players you have on the roster make you feel a lot more optimistic about that. Yeah, just with with Mike T, obviously, we ever, all the Saints fans know his talent. It's just you're left frustrated with the fact of what would have, could have, should have been kind of thing and why. It just seemed like there were there were parts to the whole story that, you know, they weren't the brightest of moments, obviously. And it just, the, when that went sour, everything just went downhill from – you know, it seemed like the relationship to his performance. I think, you know, the idea is you just want to focus on the players on the team and the players that you are going to move forward with. The way DA phrased it was a young nucleus of players, and I think that's true. 
you have introduced a good group of young players onto this roster that that's where you want to grow with and you want to just kind of move on from where you were before and try to figure out what's going forward. One of the players who, you know, got a glowing review from the head coach but is dealing with injuries is Trevor Penning. And now this is a question that suddenly you have bookended your rookie season with you had a turf toe injury that required surgery and kept you out of half the season. Finally got your chance to start in week 18. James Hurst shifted inside. And I thought the offensive line looked decent early in the game. I think they struggled as the game went on, but that's what happens when you have, you know, four backups. Like there's only so much you can do. And, but late in the game, he left the field. It turned out to be a Liz Frank injury. If that sounds familiar, it's because it is. It's the same injury Cesar Ruiz is recovering from. It's the same injury Taysom Hill had in week 18 of last year. I mean, we don't know the severity of it. We don't know if it was exactly the same in terms of how it was hurt, but it's the same type of injury and you're going to have to have the same type of surgery. And so that's going to impact Trevor's offseason. And that's unfortunate because you really wanted this to be a full offseason where you could go, you had a full game of tape from week 18. You could go over that you could, and you could improve upon it. And now the question is going to be another rehab process. How long does that take? How much of the offseason is, is, is lost in terms of development? Is he going to be ready for the start of camp? Is he going to be ready for some of the offseason stuff like the OTAs and the minicamp? I don't know. Taysom Hill wasn't out there for OTAs or minicamp, but he was able to get back for the first day of camp. So that's what you're going to hope for with Trevor. He's a young guy. Hopefully he can bounce back quicker. That's usually how that how that works. If when you're younger, you have a your recovery process a little quicker. So hopefully that's the case. And he's going to be able to hang out with Caesar as they're doing their rehab together because Caesar's only two weeks ahead of him in that process. But yeah, that's that's an unfortunate thing to have happen. Yeah, you saw him limp off the field in the finale kind of deal, and I was kind of surprised that you know they didn't bring the card out to bring him to the back. He kind of like waved them off, refused the kind of thing. I, I think he was, you definitely had that look of disappointment in his eye, obviously, to be suffering. Obviously, an, another really big setback to an early start in his career in the NFL already. You don't want to over-dramatize things, but two foot surgeries already, year one in the NFL is, it's a little worrisome, I guess you could say. Yeah, what I will say is I think a lot of young players come into the league with like undiagnosed stuff. And so maybe this is a situation where, you know, these were things that were going to happen either way. And it kind of just you're repairing them and then you're going forward. It's like it's like if you look at baseball, it seems like every pitcher at some point in their career has Tommy John surgery now. It's like it used to be a career ending thing. Now it's like if you didn't have it earlier in your career, you have to have it later in your career. And so I don't know if maybe that's a situation going on, but if you had to have an injury-plagued season, I'd rather have it be the one that he wasn't going to start week one anyway. So, you know, hopefully it's not something that holds him back because from, you know, the evaluation was good from what he did. And here's what uh, Dia had to say on that. The question was asked of me last night, what I think about how he played. I got a chance to watch the tape and I thought he played really well. I was highly encouraged by the way he played uh, the left tackle position. He got beat inside one on an inside pass rush fairly early in the game. I thought he made a great adjustment afterwards, and I love the player's mentality about the way he plays the game. He plays the game tough, physical. He plays it nasty with a with a lot of lot of lot of tenacity. And those are all the adjectives that you wanted to hear about him, and you you said going in. So that's a positive, even if it kind of comes with the bittersweet of like, well, three to five months on the on the pine. But yeah. No, it's just sad when you see, obviously, we, we've seen the flashes of talent, you could say, from him. But it, it kind of reminds me of a guy that kind of, he, he was mostly healthy for this season and, and a Marcus Davenport. We didn't see uh, a whole lot of flash at all from him in the statistical category. Half a sack all year and then leaves on what might have been his last snap, as a saying, is on a fight in the finale, which is kind of, you know, funny knowing Marcus Davenport's personality. Yeah, he's not a guy who you expect to just haul off and hit somebody, but hey, you know, week 18, we have a half sack all season that probably doesn't sit well with you. I actually think you're going to end up seeing Marcus come back because you're going to get a great deal on him, <laughs> you know? Uh, we'll see if maybe he can bounce back and if he comes back on a short-term deal to kind of reset reset his value. But yeah, there were a lot of instances this season where you trusted someone to step up and they didn't do it. And so you can't put it all on Marcus, obviously. There was a lot of things that went wrong.
But let's wrap up that segment there. We're going to come back with some of the positivity from this season, which is wide receiver Chris Olave. But I do have a question, which is, is he a wide receiver one? Stick around on Inside Black and Gold. Definitely got to get a little stronger. I definitely know that's a kind of a weak part of my game. Try to get gain a couple pounds of muscle. Uh, just trying to play through contact and align myself to, to get yards out the catch. I feel like that's the biggest biggest things I can improve on. I agree with that. That's Chris Olave talking about kind of the goals he has for year two. After going over a thousand yards, he was only the second Saints rookie to do that. And so I think there's some interesting questions to be asked about Chris Olave. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. And, you know, one of the things, and we talked about this, you know, after Chris's interview the other day, is when we talked to Chris in the preseason, some of the questions were, is he big enough to succeed at the NFL level? Is he strong enough? Is he is he heavy enough? You know, and at the time, he was asked, do you, do you think you need to get bigger? Do you think you need to get stronger? And he said, no. He said he was comfortable at the weight he was at, and he felt like he could succeed in that area. And, you know, when you know it, fast forward to after week 18, and the first thing out of his mouth when asked, what are your goals for next year, and what are your goals for this offseason, is to get stronger and to gain a couple pounds of muscle. And, you know, I think that's something that he's been told, right? And he's experienced, and now he understands, is it's not easy to play wide receiver in the NFL, and you got to be... You got to be strong. You got to fight a lot more than you did in college. And I think that's that's going to be the, a question is how can he kind of transform his body a little bit to to hold up? Because I don't think he was able to in, in some key moments this year. I love Olave. Love the pick still for this team. It was obviously a huge need going into the year. And I do think he's a number one that we've seen some of the finesse, but we definitely need to see more physical incorporated into the game for next season. To, to just make him a more rounded and, and like that physical type of wide out. He's not the biggest guy, obviously, but I, I think, you know, he, he recognized too after 15 games in the pros, he needs to gain a little to be able to, to handle these DBs and maybe to also help him be able to secure balls a little bit better. The, the fumble in the, in the finale really was one that, that hurt. Uh, and, and I think that he, he had some drops, obviously, during the season. But, man, to me, that fumble in that game was just a, a huge low note to go out on, unfortunately, for him. You know, last night I said, look, he had a, he had a, he had a good rookie year. But there's still a lot of things that he can improve on and, and, and get better at. And, uh, you know, being able to play this game bigger, stronger, um, you know, one of the elements that I don't think we had – um, as 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 much as we needed this year was a a, a contested ball catcher, you know, um, and so um, I think when you get in some of these tough, you know, third down situations, gotta have it, you know, the guy that, man, I'm gonna make the contested catch. Uh, I think that's important. Yeah, and so that's Dennis Allen talking about Alave, and I think that's that's the key to this question of. Is Chris Olave a wide receiver one? You know, and, and kind of, and you can say wide receiver one. You can say just X, right? Like you need an X in the offense, and that's the guy who's going to play on an island. He's not going to be running a lot of combination routes. He's going to be the guy who, you know, is going to get single covered, and you're going to have to find him, and he's going to have to beat a guy. And you know, I think at times you saw a receiver who was really good at getting open. But what happens when you're not able to create five yards of separation, and you have to just fend off a defender and I just I think that's where he struggled right like he caught 1,042 yards receiving this year that's the second most for a rookie in Saints franchise history but the numbers aren't as great as that sounds right he had 119 targets he caught 72 of them that's about 60% that's pretty low for you know a go-to wide receiver right Mike Thomas has always been the opposite end of that spectrum where you're talking about like 90% completions. And that's not where you want it to be for your kind of go-to big moment receiver, right? He also had seven drops. We saw two of those in week 18. You saw that catch that was overturned to a to a drop against the 49ers. You saw that fumble in week two when he was going to the ground and lost the ball. That's the same thing that happened to him against 
the 49ers. And in this game, it was again a situation where he made a nice catch, he got downfield, and as he's going to the ground, the ball gets knocked out. And you can do a whole lot of great things in your rookie season. You can do a whole lot of great things in the NFL. Turning the ball over in that circumstance is going to erase a lot of it. And obviously this game didn't really matter in terms of the playoffs, but but there was a scenario where it did, right? Like all it would have taken was the Panthers not blowing an 11-point lead to the Bucks in Week 17, and suddenly this is a game for the division, at least for the Panthers. Like the Saints would have still needed help from the, from the Falcons. And if that had been the case and you had fumbled right there, you would have effectively lost your team a chance to go to the postseason, right? Because of how you you were not able to execute. And so those are the things that you really need him to improve on. Because you like you don't have to be a possession receiver. You don't have to be a contested catch receiver, but you can't turn the ball over. And so you do need to get tougher and you do need to find out how to take contact and go to the ground and be able to survive it. Because he just hasn't been able to do that. And that is the one thing that I, I watch from him and I get really frustrated about is you're a professional catcher of footballs but that includes falling to the ground and holding on to it. And uh, yeah, that, those are inexcusable mistakes in my opinion. Like you said, going to the ground and maintaining possession, please. Uh, that would definitely seem to be an unfortunate issue. I will say with Olave, obviously thrown into that number one role a little bit earlier than anticipated, obviously. But hey, that that's why you're one of the top picks in the NFL draft. So a lot is expected uh, of you too because of your draft status. And for the most part, this season, I, I would give him probably around a B minus ending up with for the, for the year kind of thing, if you want to put a grade on it. I know that's pretty ridiculous too to think you know after that rookie season that would be that low. But to me, the way the the year ended was really unfortunate. I I, I kind of was disappointed with that performance in the finale. Yeah, I'd go with a B in that range. I think that's fair. Um, it definitely wasn't an A. I think he had A games. Right. Like he had he had moments where you were like, wow, you know, this kid can is really something special. But he disappeared too many times. Like he had four catches on the opening drive against the Eagles. He didn't catch another pass in that game. Now, if this was a game where you had Mike Thomas and Jarvis Landry and all these guys out there and then it was like, OK, yeah, they went somewhere else. That's not what happened. You just were unable to make an impact the rest of that game in a game where all you had was you, Rashid Shahid, Jawan Johnson like that, that you have to be a part of the offense. But then there, there was something you said early on, and it always stuck in my head, it seemed like, during games. It's like, Chris Olave is always open. <laughs> yeah, well, he is. He, he, it was easier for him to get open when there were other guys that were drawing attention, right? And Yeah, for sure. But still, I mean, oh, he seemed to always get he's, – he's always in the, in the right place or going to make that adjustment. Yeah. I do think that he, 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 won't, he wouldn't admit – I asked him about this, and he wouldn't cop to it, but – I do think that he hit a rookie wall at some point in this season, and it's understandable, right? Like, one of the big differences coming out of college is you go from a 12-game season to a 17-game season. And he kind of said, like, yeah, I went to Ohio State. We're used to this, you know. And to be fair, you know, when you're playing in the college football playoff, you are playing this late in the year. So technically speaking, you do have games at this time, but you also get a month off in between them, right? Like... So I just think from a mental standpoint, I think it's really easy to hit a wall. And I don't know if you watch that game and you 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 didn't know anything about else about Olave and Andy Dalton, you'd be like, this must be the first game these guys have played together because they don't look like they understand what each other is doing at all. You know, I think Olave was just a little unfocused and I don't think that it worked in his favor. And that's fine, right? Like, I, I don't need him to admit to that. If You can kind of see it. And so that's something that you think, okay, you know, and I, you, you have this offseason to figure those things out and to get a little stronger. The other area that, and he, and he said this himself, he needs to work on is, is yak. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a receiver catch more passes and have less yardage after the catch than Chris Olave. And, and that includes about a 14-yard run after the catch for a touchdown in this game and then another catch and run that came prior to the fumble. Right, so he actually had a decent amount of yak in this game. Still, he averaged 2.9 yards after catch per reception. This is a guy who was number 18 in the NFL in yardage and number 92 in in yardage after catch per reception. So, like 
something doesn't compute there. Whether it's getting him the ball in certain situations, whether it's him understanding how to receive the ball and turn up field. He's a smaller guy. Maybe he's just kind of has it ingrained in his in his mind that he's like, I can't take huge hits, so I'm going to go down. You know, I don't know what it is, but that's something that you need to improve on because your number one receiver can't be a guy who catches the ball and goes down right where he is. You know what I mean? Like, that's not wide receiver one. For example, and this is kind of unfair because of the way he plays, Rashid Shahid had 25 catches. He has 176 yards of yak. Chris Olave has 72 catches, and he has like 200 and four yards of yak, right? Like Rashid Shahid is averaging 6.8 yards after catch per reception. Chris Olave, who I would argue has this very similar skill set, is averaging 2.9. So that's something that's got to change. But that's why this is the season. This is the off season where you want to see a leap into year two. You cannot see him regress in these situations because this is the point in your career where you have your first chance of like, you have a year's worth of tape. You have a year's worth of identifying what you don't do well and what you need to improve on. And then you have an entire six-month period where all you can do is, is work on those things and get better at those things. And so this is what he needs to do right now. And if he can do that, then I think he can come back and be a wide receiver one. But he is not that right now. I'm very curious to see how much bulk we're going to see coming back for next year from Olave. What 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 exactly this specimen's going to come in all chiseled and focused looking like? I don't think you can get to that Michael Thomas kind of body with him. But I don't I don't know how much either you want to put on to not lose any of that speed factor either, but I don't think that's too much of a worry. He's he's what? 1 180, 190 right now and definitely could get into the I don't know, 220 range, and it wouldn't, wouldn't be too much of an issue. No. I'm just saying you could get up to that. I'm not saying he's going to be overnight. No way. He's not going to 220. You don't want him to be 220. You want Because like he, he needs to be in the Justin Jefferson range, right? He needs to be in that type of frame, which is about 200 pounds, right? I want to see him get between 190 and 200. And you don't you don't gain it all. You know, it's not like you're just going eating frosties, right? Like you got to find ways to to put it on in the right way and make it functional weight. And that's what that's what's going to be a struggle for him is he's played his career to this point at a certain weight, and now you're trying to bulk up a little bit, but not lose the ability that makes you special. But in terms of the agility, the acceleration, you know, and so that's the tough part. But I think kind of coming full circle on this, I was glad to hear him say that. Because when he said prior to the season that he did not feel like he needed to work on his his size or his strength at all, and he was going to be fine, that kind of was a red flag for me. Because that's like, I don't mind that you're a little undersized at wide receiver to start your career, but you need to be aware of that and work on it. And so I don't know if that's something that changed for him throughout the year. Maybe he just wasn't quite sure what to say at that moment. It was one of his first interviews in the NFL. He wanted to sound confident. I don't know. Yeah, sure. It's like, I don't need to change anything about myself, you know? Right, right. If anyone says that to you ever, it's a red flag. Everyone has stuff they should work on, <laughs> whether it's mental or physical. No, but yeah, like he, he he acknowledged it, like you said, right away. So I was like, yeah, you know what? I went through the rigors of the season and I see, you know what, next year I'm, I'm going to come back a little more defined and ready to take on some of these DBs a little bit better. He also, and this is kind of a weird stat and you can't put it on him. But he was the target on five of the Saints' 14 interceptions this season. Which is kind of crazy when you think about it. I, the only one I can recall vividly is the interception in the end zone against the Bucks. Jamel Dean kind of undercut him and, and took that one. I think he was also the target on the interception against the Eagles late in the first half. I'm pretty sure that was him. But yeah, I don't, and I don't know if that's, if that's a product of him not fighting for the ball well enough. Or, you know, just bad throws. It's tough to say. But, you know, when you have the head coach coming out and saying, I think one of the big issues this year was that we didn't have a contested catch receiver. And your top target is the guy who was the target on more than a third of your interceptions. I think those two things kind of go hand in hand of like, you need a guy who can go up and get a ball. And I don't think that Chris Olave is ever necessarily going to be that guy. And so... I wouldn't be surprised if you do spend some money to bring somebody in that's not Jarvis Landry. I don't think you're going to do that again. I think you're going to move on from Michael Thomas. 
But, you know, maybe there is a big body possession receiver you bring in this offseason. And that's going to be something we can talk about in later podcasts once the free agent pool kind of gets clearer. But I think that's going to be something you have to take a hard look at. Because while I do think that you have really positive things to work from and build on with Rashid Shahid and Chris Olave, they are two very specific type of receivers. And they are not smash mouth, you know, take a hit and, and, and work off of it receivers. Between the two of them, they broke two tackles. And they both belong to Chris Olave. So... Which I don't know if that's that seems unfair to me because I'm pretty sure I've seen Rashid Shahid run through tackles. But either way, also obviously with the in the receiving numbers, uh, Jawan Johnson, another positive progressive year for him uh, was definitely that was a guy in the in the finale I thought was underutilized and could have been more of a factor against the Panthers, but that's here nor there. Unfortunately, didn't see really much improvement from a guy like. Traquan Smith and let's uh, Adam Troutman and the the idea the idea of bringing in a guy like Jarvis Landry was beautiful. Unfortunately, his body just you know wouldn't let him continue this season, and I think that was one of the big knocks on why the Browns were willing to let him go. Well, he also wanted twenty million a year prior to that, so yeah, but and just was at a point where his you know things are just failing him now. No, but I think like the idea was correct in terms of what the Saints wanted to do, right? Like you had Michael Thomas coming back and then you were like, okay, we'll hedge our bets and and bring in Jarvis Landry, who's going to be able to do a lot of the same things if Mike isn't able to go. And unfortunately, neither of those guys was able to contribute much throughout the season. So I don't know, but they got hurt in the same game, which is freaking nuts. Yeah, and, it, and it's like you want to blame the turf that neither of those injuries happened on the Saints turf, so it can't be the Saints turf for these guys. But both Liz Frank injuries to the offensive linemen did come in the Superdome. That was Week 15 against the Falcons and Week 18 against the Panthers. But Taysom Hill's Liz Frank injury was on the road against the Falcons last year. So, you know, there it, 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 injuries happen. There's only so much you can do. Well, still, still a turf field though, right? Yeah, but I mean, if you want to blame like specific turf, which I think that there there are different types of turf, different types of field turf. Yeah, you know, I don't think that it's a coincidence. Uh, remember the playoff game against the Eagles a few years back? I think you had Sheldon Rankins and I forget his name from the Eagles. They both went down with torn Achilles in like within like seven plays of each other. And the, the Eagles were complaining about the Saints turf at that point. And I don't know if it's fair, but... You know, it's it's definitely not just the Saints thing. Like there's this like like the the hatred of field turf goes beyond the Saints. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's kind of a reckoning, and so and the, and the NFLPA ha- has to step in and be like, no, we need to find out find another surface that's not as as damaging to players because like Jameis's knee, for example, I don't know if his knee injury happens the way it did on a grass field because the the injury is c- compression and then. On a grass field, the grass would give give away, right? You would have a divot, and the cleats would like tear the grass out of the ground. That's not going to happen on field turf. So when you have a cleat caught, it's not going to tear. It's not going to go away. It's just going to stick. And that's when you know you have that compression and you tear your knee. And Sean said this at the time. Like Sean was open about how much he hates field turf, but then he would have him practice indoors every day. So. But all right, let's wrap that up. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. Yes, playoffs where the Saints are not. But we're going to talk about it anyway because I'm excited to watch it. What else are we going to do? It's the weekend, and uh, there's no football on other than that football. So we're going to talk about it. Stick around inside Black and Gold. Hey, we're back here for one more segment of Inside Black and Gold. We're not even going to talk about the Saints because we've talked about enough. But there is football that's going to be going on this weekend. It is Super Wild Card Weekend, the dumbest name. But hey, you know, it is what it is. There are two games Saturday, three games Sunday, and one game Monday. Personally, I could do without a Monday night get playoff game. I don't need Monday night playoffs. I think that's weird. I think that's it's odd to give a team a short week. But I guess it's like the worst division winner that gets it. So I guess that's a punishment, but hey, whatever. Yeah, I'm going to assume that then that Monday night winner is going to be a short of Sunday game the next obvious round. I, you have to imagine, yeah. But you know what? I, I don't know. I, I don't mind. It's just the NFL saying, hey, we're here and we're not going anywhere. Even though it's even though it's the playoffs, we're going to have three days a week for you. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to split it up. Saturday makes sense to me. Like you don't, you want to not have games going on concurrently because that's just foolish. Like, why would you do that? So I get that. But like, you don't need a Monday game, Put three on Saturday, three on Sunday, because I think there's a competitive balance issue. Like that means that whoever wins that Monday night game is going to be playing, assuming there are no upsets, they're going to be playing the team coming off a bye. So like you are not only having a team come off a shorter week, you are having them play the best team that has had two weeks off. It's just a strange thing. It's like you're getting punished as the lowest division winner, and maybe that's what they want to do. Maybe they do want to punish the NFC South for being so bad. But yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so let's just kind of go through these games, and I'll, and uh, Steve, you can kind of give me your, your take on them. Um, we're going to start the first game on Saturday, which is 3.30. It's like, what? give me a noon game on Saturday. What the hell, guys? Like, you're, you're giving me a Monday game, but you can't even give me a noon game on Saturday, you can't, you're going to make me wait until four o'clock and then stay up late because you can't get your own shit together. There's no noon game. Why not start this game at three, right? Reasonable. Anyway, they're they're letting you do something early on Saturday and then come back for football, I guess. It's just, it's just malarkey anyway. Oh, and they're both West coast teams. Uh, Seahawks at 49ers, 3.30 PM. That's on Fox. 49ers are 10 point favorites in that game. And it's hard not to agree with it. But it is also crazy when you think that this is a team, this is a 49ers team that is starting Brock Purdy at quarterback. All we talk about is how you need a quarterback, right? You're not winning a Super Bowl without a quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have anything. Well, the 49ers do not have a quarterback, but they have everything else, and they are 10-point favorites over the, over the Seahawks in the, in the, in the wildcard round. Yeah, I'm a big Niners believer still in this round just because of that defense, I think, is going to be pretty overwhelming against Seattle. The The Seahawks kind of, you know, do they really belong in the postseason? Eh, they had a, a decent enough year, good for Pete Carroll and all, but I, I just see the doesn't matter who's that quarterback with this San Fran squad. They got the weapons still with, you know, Debo, McCaffrey, and then on just defense, we we saw firsthand on what they're able to do in shutting out the Saints completely this year. I, I think that San Fran advances on to the next round with a victory. Yeah, I mean, they've won 10 games in a row. Yeah, you don't do that by accident. Um, this is a very, very, very good team. They're 8-1 and one at home, and they're going to be playing at home for this game. Yeah, they won the NFC West 13-4. and four. I mean, they were 4-4 four and four when the Saints played them. Right, that's crazy. And yeah. <laughs> that's kind of like this is a team that is very very good the only question is you know can you trust Brock Purdy to hold up in a playoff game right like we've seen him in regular season games now the pressure ratchets up but you know we've never seen Geno Smith play in a playoff game either right so what you can say for the Seahawks is they have nothing to lose right like this was a team that everyone kind of had dead in the water after the Russell Wilson trade and not only were they still competitive, they made the playoffs, right? Like they didn't go in the tank even after Taysom Hill, you know, stole their soul in week five, right? Like they kept competing. They're nine and eight. They're not a great team, but they're a solid team. And they're going to, you know, see what they can do. And then they're going to go pick number three in the draft. So it's hard to feel bad about the Seahawks if they if they don't can't get a win here because they are set up for, for long-term success. So... I think that's a game that you'll probably end up turning off at halftime, but it's still going to be uh, an interesting one. Next game, you have the Chargers, who will not be hiring Sean Payton unless things go really badly in this game, I imagine. The 10-7 and 7 Chargers on the road to face the 9-8 and 8 Jaguars. In, the, in, the, in the, the quarterbacks are all right bowl, you have Justin Herbert facing off with Trevor Lawrence, you know, I, I think Trevor Lawrence is an interesting case of like, people told me that Trevor Lawrence sucks. Like, it drives me nuts when it's like, wow, he wasn't a, a, a superstar as a rookie. Get him out of town. It's like, give him a chance. Give him a decent head coach. They hired Doug Peterson. All of a sudden, this team has kind of figured it out. Now, they are in the same boat as the Bucs in terms of they won a bad division, right? But they did win it. Right? They had a game against the Tennessee Titans at home. They won it. They didn't look great doing it, but they they won it. And they're on the rise. 
I do think that the Chargers end up winning this game. They The Jaguars are home underdogs in this game. They are one and a half point underdogs. And, uh, you know, I, I've never, I, I don't feel like that, that stadium gives you a great home field advantage. It's kind of an open air stadium that just doesn't have a lot of energy in it. I mean, I assume, were you there for the, the game? No, I've been, but I've been to the stadium before and I know they have like a, a dog park on top of the stadium and also a, a swimming pool. But yeah, it's not, it's not the, you, I would agree with you. There's no real quote unquote home field advantage there where you feel, you know, a, a threatening atmosphere. The ch- the chargers should be used to that though. Now. And they're all yelling Duval, which is like, why are you yelling like the County? Like what, what is happening anyway? But no, I mean, I think that's a game where if the, if the chargers go in there and, and lay a really, really ugly performance, then maybe that opens the door for Brandon Staley to 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 get his uh, his role taken away from him, but it would have to be a real bad performance. And I don't and I think you're going to go in there. Austin Eckler like single handedly won me my fantasy title this year. He's very very good. All he does is score touchdowns. Mike Williams and Keenan Allen are both excellent receivers, and Justin Herbert's obviously Justin Herbert. I think this is a game where you kind of you have that kind of coming out party for a young quarterback who's going to be ready to win um, with this roster for a long time. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm I'm definitely someone that's kind of rooting for the Jags and Doug Peterson. Uh, really like him as their head coach, doing such an amazing turnaround for them after having to endure Urban Meyer that whole mess last season. And yeah, like you said, all of a sudden. The folks were quick to write off poor Trevor Lawrence. And you've seen him, you know, take steps this year. Uh, I really like Travis Etienne, uh, their running back. And they, you know, I I was really questioning when they made that move to to dole out that money, uh, that kind of wide receiver money to Christian Kirk. He's had a pretty decent year for them as well. I just don't think that in the end it's going to be enough to overtake the more experienced Justin Herber and, you know, like you said, Austin Eckler, uh, anytime I got to watch a Chargers game, just his, I always feared having to play him in fantasy football because it just seems like the guy produces no matter what. He's one of the, like he, he, and he's one of those guys and Alvin Kamara used to be like this, um, that like he, like he, Travis Kelsey and a few others, like they're worth drafting because you know that in at least two or three games, you don't know when they're going to be, but you know they're going to happen, he will single-handedly win you a matchup because he's going to go off for like four touchdowns. And it's just, a, and it's like, so you know he's just the trump card. And I, that's one of the reasons I took him, like I think I, he was my first round pick in a league that I won. And so, yeah, he's, he's been very good. The one thing I will say for the Jags is they did beat the Chargers in LA 38 to 10 earlier this year. So they're going to at least welcome the San Diego or L.A. into town feeling like, oh, we can beat this team because we, we've done it already. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, we'll see if Duval is, uh, is bringing the pain. Duval! Okay, that's 8.15 on NBC. Uh, I'm sorry, 7.15 Central Time on NBC. Moving on, Sunday, January 15th. This is our three-pack of games. You have the seven-seeded Dolphins who sneaked in by the thinnest of margins. They kicked a field goal to win 9-6. Yeah, and then they're they're visiting the Bills. The Bills are 10-point favorites. This is the noon start on Sunday. Good decision because this is a game that I have a feeling will not be very exciting to watch. I believe I, I have a strong feeling it's not going to be Tua. He's still in the concussion protocol. And so I don't know if Skylar Thompson going to have much of a chance to take down the bills the team of destiny i feel like right now like they're going to have every uh, every motivation to make it hurt on uh, the dolphins and uh i think mike mcdaniel's job is safe if it's not the dolphins are the dumbest organization in sports which hey maybe they are no I totally agree with you there it could be you know maybe even 14 points i'd still go uh leaning heavy on the bills i just think you know the they've got the quarterback they've got weapons around them obviously Pretty good defense against a Dolphins team that you, you don't know what you're getting at quarterback. And the fact that you do have the nation pretty much around you and supporting you, even though there were tons of, I felt like, Bill's truthers going into this year, which kind of turned me off to them just because I felt like so many people had jumped on their bandwagon. They're a good team. It feels like they're due, but who knows. Next up, 
3.30 Central Time on Fox. The six-seeded Giants making their, making their return to the playoffs. No boat trips this time. Visiting the Vikings. The Vikings are three-point favorites. As a Giants homer, if I had to pick one team in this playoff bracket that I was hoping the Giants would get to play as a lower-seeded team having to go, like then obviously, you know, if they could have played the seven seed, that's one thing. But as a, play, as a wild card, I could have picked one team to expose as frauds on the road in the playoffs, it would have to be the Vikings. Because I don't know if there's ever been a more fraudulent like 13-4 and four team in the NFL than the, than the Vikings this year. I mean, they had a game that they needed to win to have a chance at the top seed. And they lost by 30. Like, they win close games. You give them credit for that. They're three-point favorites in this game. They beat the Giants on a 61-yard field goal a couple weeks back. You know, they came back from 33-6 to down against the Lions. They came back from a late deficit against the Saints. You know, like, they're a team that, that doesn't get rattled. But this is not a good football team. And, it, and it's, it's not about the offense. It's about the defense. This, this defense for the Vikings is not good. And I don't know if the Giants are going to be able to be the team that exposes them. Like they have no, they're thrown to Isaiah Hodgins as Kenny Galladay just cashes checks over on the bench. Caught his first touchdown in a Giants uniform in week 18. And it was because he is so bad that they are playing their $18 million wide receiver in a game where they bench all their starters. Crazy. You look at the talent, obviously, what stands out to me is the, the names on the offense for, you know, the Minnesota Vikings with Jefferson, Dalvin Cook. Um, but, yeah, you, you got to wonder what Kirk Cousins you're going to get in this game. I agree with you about the, the Vikings. You know, the, the defense is just non-existent. And, you know, a lot of folks were calling them frauds going into the to the place playoffs and I wouldn't be surprised one bit either to see your G men knocking off uh the Vikings, although they've been pretty good at home this year. I think they're eight and one. They are eight and one. But like yeah, like if 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 I was a team and I had I had to play either the 49ers, the Vikings or the Bucks, right? I would much rather play the Vikings. Like I get it, the Bucks aren't that good, but it's still Tom Brady in the playoffs. And I don't want to deal with that. You know, I think the Cowboys probably win that game. We'll get to that in a minute. But, like, I want to play the – I want the Vikings. I want to beat the shit out of them on on tele, national television and, and show everyone. Uh, anyway, the last game on Sunday, six-seeded Ravens at the third-seeded Bengals. The fight in Joe Burrows are six-and-a-half-point favorites. That's 7-15 on NBC. I don't know if Lamar Jackson's going to play. I would be surprised if he does. Oh, uh, totally agree. The, and it's, a, it's wild to think that – another big name quarterback is going to be available on the market and there could be a serious bidding war for Lamar Jackson services. But yeah, this playoff game totally in the hands of Joe Burrow and the Bengals definitely find myself pulling for them in the AFC this year. I think he's played his last game in the, in a Ravens Jersey. I think genuinely that's true. And whether he is healthy enough to play or not, as I guess is a question, but I think he is resigned to the fact that he's no longer going to be on this roster. And so why are you going to work, push fight back for, with a knee injury that you could potentially re-injure and make worse to help your team lose by slightly less to the Bengals um, who are going to roll in this game against Tyler Huntley? I don't see a way that Lamar comes back for this team. And I don't see a way that this team wins without Lamar. Hey, remember we joked of, of the tampering of Cam Jordan. He said, hey, if the purple and black don't want to pay him, the black and gold will. It's just crazy to me they won't pay Lamar. Like, what assholes? It's almost like they're mad because he doesn't have an agent and they don't feel like talking to him. Well, his mom's his agent, right? I was going to say, maybe she's just brutal to deal with. I, I get Well, yeah, right. That's what I mean. It'd be like, like if you're trying to negotiate a contract with Annie Apple. Like, I'd be like, you know what? It's not worth it. Maybe that's what it, maybe, maybe that makes it more difficult, right? Richard Sherman was a guy who didn't have an agent either. Like... I think you get worse deals that way, so I don't know why you would do it. But either way, I think that's a game that's going to the Bengals. And then finally, Monday, January 16th, the stupid Monday night playoff game, 7-15 on ABC and ESPN. The number five Cowboys traveling to face the losing record-having Buccaneers. This is a conflicting game for me because if the Cowboys lose this game and don't and look bad doing it, Mike McCarthy gets fired. And I'm pretty sure that suddenly the Sean Payton sweepstakes kicks into another gear. 
On the flip side, I don't want to see Tom Brady happy. And the Bucks losing would would make sure that's the case, that he's not happy. And that's worth it to me. So I'm gonna. I, th- I think the Cowboys are gonna win this game. Purely, purely non-emotional. My head is telling me cow. My head's telling me Cowboys, but the heart's saying Tom finds a way to get it done in the postseason. And I know this Buck squad has not looked good, but anytime you get Brady in the dance here, I, I have more faith in him being able to pull out a game than Dak Prescott. So I'll lean on Brady, T- Tampa Brady. Tampa Bay. Yeah, so that's all the wild card weekend games. The The divisional round will be the Saturday and Sunday of the next week. There's no more Monday game. And then championship Sunday is January 29th. The two teams we didn't talk about, obviously the top seeds, that is the Eagles, the 14-3 and Eagles and the 14-3 and Chiefs. Both of those teams got the top seed. So I guess my, my question is, what is your Super Bowl matchup? I'm thinking it's going to be Kansas City in the AFC I'm leaning on. And then the NFC, as much as my heart would love to say Philadelphia, they have not looked good towards the end of the stretch of the year, not playing their best football right now. And it's crazy to think that it could be Brock Purdy and the Niners in the Super Bowl. I I, I mean, that's the way it feels currently just because of how dominant, I would say, San Fran's defense has been. I don't buy Sam. I think San Francisco is going to beat the beat the Seahawks. I think they probably win the divisional game. I do not see the 49ers winning the NFC Championship. But I'm also not convinced it's going to be the Eagles who get there. And we have seen this movie play out before. The 49ers. Oh, they're so good. And then the Giants show up and 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 beat the bricks off them. Right? Just saying. Because that's the team. The well, so the Eagles would have to play the Giants. If the Giants beat the Vikings and the Seahawks don't beat the 49ers because you do reseed the playoff field, which is like, I wish other other leagues would do that. Um, but so the, the Eagles will play the lowest remaining seed. And I think that would be a really intriguing game if the, if the Giants get through and then the Eagles, who are playing their worst football of the year right now, suddenly have to figure out a way to, to beat a hot team that, that's in the playoffs with nothing to lose. If the if the 49ers play the Eagles, I think the 49ers get through. Because I just think the 49ers match up well with the Eagles. We that physicality of that defense definitely matches up well with the, the Philly offense and what they're trying to do at Hurts for sure. Either way, I, I think it's it's gonna be it's gonna be 49ers Eagles in that. But I'm not going Chiefs in the AFC, I'm going Bills. The NFL is scripted. So they're gonna give it to the Bills. Oh, just like the year that the Saints won the Super Bowl, they gave it to him because of Katrina, right? So I'm going Bills. I'm going Bills 49ers. It feels right. feels good. Would you be shocked at all to see, though, the Bills, you know, they got a, a nice early round matchup against a Dolphin squad. That's too many questions. But after that, I mean, it'll definitely be interesting to see if they can pick back up their stride because I still got to imagine all the attention that, you know, that, that's gone on with the off-the-field stories there has been pretty exhausting. Well, I think you're going to end up getting Bills-Bengals and be a rematch of the game that never happened. And I still like the Bills in that game. Everything's planned, like you said. It's going to be in Buffalo if it happens. And then the Chiefs would play probably the Chargers, one of the two, right? Because I don't see the Dolphins upsetting the Bills and I don't see the Ravens upsetting the Bengals. So I, I, I like the Bills over the Bengals. The Bengals. That team's not that good. Like, that's the thing. It's like Joe Burrow has elevated that team significantly. They are probably, like, still a year away from having, like, an offensive line to protect them. And so, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the Bills. I did love him and his, whatever you want to call that, his swag, his moxie, whatever saying that basically every year the win- his window's open kind of thing. Yeah, his championship window. He's like, every year my window's open. Just a guy that you know that guys have confidence in. But because you know he's obviously believes in himself, I I just think that 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 could be something interesting to watch if the Bengals can start getting on a little tear, and I could I could see them being a problem as a Super Bowl contender, legit Super Bowl contender. But there's still a lot of questions with the defense. Joe's got a swag bag. All right, that's gonna wrap that up. I hope the, I hope that's illuminating for you. The Bills are gonna win it all because uh, Roger Goodell said so. If I had to put money on it, I'm putting. I'm still betting Chiefs. It's not a bad bet. 
The NFC, I really don't know who the hell's coming out of there. It's the Giants. Just kidding. It's not. Eli's not there anymore. He can't. He can't carry him through the playoffs. Um, although his clone is in Daniel Jones, the Eli clone. Is that what they consider him? That's what I consider him. I think he's the lost Manning clone. The only one that could run. Would be nice if he had a receiver even close to Plaxico, though. Plexiglass. Uh, he's got, he's got, he's got Isaiah Hodgins. He's got Kenny Galladay. Makes more than anyone else. It's like a top five paid wide receiver. Oh, you got him all right. You made sure of that. Money. They've been saving him. They've been saving him for the playoffs. It's going to emerge now. How funny would that be if, like, he finally catches a touchdown and he's like, wow, this is fun. I'm going to try again. And then suddenly he's like, like the playoffs, he's like the superstar receiver despite like literally just not even being on the field for the first 18 games. And then he just becomes big game Galladay. All right. He plays like the receiver that you signed. Probably unlikely. You never know. All right. Let's wrap that up. This is going to be the end of Inside Black and Gold. We're going to keep doing this. At some point, we're going to have to change seasons. I don't. I think that what we will do is this is still season one until the playoffs are over. Yeah, for sure. Crown the Super Bowl champ and put it to bed. We can have the we can do the pod that says the Saints would have beat them if they were in it, and then we can shift to season two of Inside Black and Gold. All right, that's it for Inside Black and Gold. Thanks everyone for listening. Who dat? Go Saints. They suck. <laughs>